the next framework or next iteration that comes out, it's, you know, there's a lot has changed in the world. And oftentimes, like, you're going to see the threats and technology evolve much faster than a compliance framework. And that's by design, because frameworks have to be put together much more methodically. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Jason, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today because the topic that we are going to be talking about is something that is super interesting that seems to get a very conflicting sort of opinions on doing uh, security properly versus compliance. So I'm definitely keen to drill into some of your answers around that. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please talk to our listeners about where you started and what are you sort of doing now? Yeah, thank, thank you for uh, allowing me the opportunity to be here today. I greatly appreciate it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's good to talk a little bit about uh, kind of how I started in the field and kind of where I've come now. Uh, I guess I've spent my entire career in the cybersecurity field, I think long before the term was even used to define the industry. Uh, so I kind of have a unique perspective where I've, I've done a bit of compliance over the years, and then I've also done um, very technical security operations uh, kind of for global enterprises. So I have kind of the perspective of, of both sides of the topic that we're going to talk about today. I've also been heavily involved in, in organizations like ISACA, where I've been president of the ISACA Greater Washington, D.C. chapter. Uh, I continue to serve on the board of directors uh, today as well. So uh, really enjoy a lot of the early days of my career, maybe I was much more in the weeds on things. And now I get to be about a lot more strategic, uh, really help build capacity uh, for cybersecurity learning, growth in the field, uh, information threat sharing, collaboration between different entities, whether it be government and private sector. So really get to do a lot of interesting things. And I, I truly love the, the cybersecurity field because I think it just evolves and changes. And it's night and day different from when I started about, um, say, 15, 16 or so years ago in the field to now, it just uh, you could, you, the technology is different. Many of the leading companies that are within the field or didn't exist back then. So it's just um, it's very interesting and um, just a, a really uh, enjoyable field to be in with such uh, dynamic change uh, that I get to kind of be a part of and help be a leader and help um, organizations kind of overcome challenges because security and compliance are both difficult things for, for many organizations to implement. So glad to be a part of the field and I always look forward to what's kind of coming ahead. So over your 16 year career, what are some of, you, you did touch on some of the changes, but would you say from your experience, people are looking at security very differently to perhaps even 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, just with, with the amount of technology that's in place today and um, you're seeing a lot of the small companies come up for, with cloud native technology, that um, those kind of concepts uh, and and things you'll see within uh, AWS or Azure or an IBM or Google uh, are not uh, platforms or, or technology capabilities that were really as prevalent a long time ago and that you're seeing other things like um, uh, SIM tools and and uh other technical capabilities that while now are kind of maybe commonplace really were 
were not very widely implemented uh, a decade ago. Um, some of the, the scripting languages like PowerShell only really started, I think, in the early 2000s, um, where now it's like some of these are, are really baseline uh, technical skills for a lot of uh, administrators. They're used in a lot of exploits. Um, both, you know, So the same technology or, or technical capabilities can be used for, for very good and beneficial things, but they can also be used for exploits. But you know, many of, much of that didn't uh, come about until uh, the early 2000s when that, when that's technology started to come into play. So it's, it's, it's night and day different. I think uh, some of the compliance frameworks that we'll probably talk about today uh, have evolved greatly over time as well to, to adapt to some of these changes. So uh, some new ones come in place as well, like GDPR and, and um, just some of the, the new NIST frameworks that continue to evolve and the concepts of zero trust and, and whatnot. So it's really uh, been a lot of interesting change over the years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And even more so in the last sort of two or so years with the pandemic really emerging and people having to think differently. So one of the things I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on is to discuss doing security properly versus compliance. So a few years ago, I was in the pen testing arena and you'd speak to clients and they were sort of just like ticking the box, let's just do the pen test rather than doing it properly, right? And so I always used to have that discussion with, do you just want to do a pen test to say you've done it for compliance purposes or do you actually want to find out what your vulnerabilities are than to then try to create a roadmap for remediation? So I'm really interested because I still do talk to people that are very focused on just ticking the box, next, move on. But I would say more people, though, are very focused on doing it properly. So I'm really keen to open this up. So what are you sort what like? What are your thoughts? What are you sort of hearing? What, what's your, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think everyone you know, strives to to kind of have the ideal or to do to do security and compliance properly. Um, but I think it becomes challenging because sometimes you you can. Um, have different objectives for different parties in the organization and you can sometimes run into different roadblocks uh, or just um, challenges competing priorities that you end up in a situation where you know you have pressure to, to meet regulatory requirements or if you're a global organization you have regulatory requirements that vary per country but that you operate in potentially and then at the same time you still have to have uh, your security requirements and security controls in place to protect your data secure your organization um, you know maintain the trust of your your customers or clients so it's it's a tricky situation uh, where i think you know everyone's trying to do the best they can with it but at the same time you know you, you're I think you can fall into these traps with compliance where if you know you have an annual audit or um, it's on a, some sort of cyclical time frame, where you're like, oh, we better hurry up and get everything in order and update our document once a year that we just put on the shelf. And then when the audit's over, you know, we, we let it go again and then go through this process where it's there's a lot of pressure to get everything done and, and to get kind of those check boxes, as you mentioned, with the, either it be a pen test or um, external reviewers come in and they need to you need to produce artifacts and doc, updated documents and you know they're checking to see if your your procedures or processes are updated so you can end up in situations where you just go through the motions but you're you're not necessarily implementing them as strong as you can and that that can happen i think in in organizations where uh you might be short on on staff which often is a challenge in the cyber field with with uh, maintaining uh, properly staffed and skilled teams so you can get in these these kind of um you know, ruts or, or just caught in, caught in these going through the motions 
whereas that can then hurt your security posture over time. And it's not deliberate, but it just ends up happening that way sometimes for organizations where you can kind of fall into that trap. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying in terms of mentality that's derived from this sort of behavior, would you say, like you said, that there's pressure, people are struggling to get their head above the water, keep the lights on, uh, they don't have enough staff. Do you think a lot of just trying to rush, well, not even rush through it, but just, you know, annual audit comes up, we've got to do that. You know, we, we update our documents, as you said, and then no one sees it again for another year. Would you say that's really the mindset behind sort of what's happening at the moment? Um, it, I think it, it, it can be at times, but ultimately I think, um, you know, you'll see challenges with um, leaders who, who, you know, you're evaluated a lot on compliance uh, many times in terms of whether it be an executive scorecard or um, uh, ways of uh, compensation or success metrics. They're easy to quantify. Oh, I'm green on my scorecard or I've, I've passed my audit um, where security um, over time, it's really, if you didn't get breached or you didn't have a major incident, it's just, you know, it's life goes on and, and people just kind of are like, okay, well, that's what's supposed to happen. There's not, it's hard to have real quantitative measures of success outside of the fact that you didn't have an incident that occurred. Um, so so it's, it's kind of, it's harder to, to maybe um, reward or to incentivize some of those practices versus, uh, you know, Hey, I, I've passed my audit four years in a row or I've, um, you know, have all, all hundred uh, percent or in the you know, 99th percentile on my um, compliance uh, matrix. And so there's ways that it, I think it just gets uh, harder. And sometimes, and that, that goes into um, aspects of just kind of hard to get into the weeds and understand some of the mechanics of, of the true security operations, technical, uh, technical aspects of security versus uh, regulatory compliance, which uh, in some cases could be much easier to, to understand at an organizational view or at the aggregate level. Would you say as well, uh, you did mention like pressure probably from executives, for example, if you're in a highly regulated industry like banking and finance, for example, you have people breathing down your neck. So would you say that executives are sort of very focused on we need to get all of this ready or else they're going to get sort of slapped over the wrist or they're going to be the front page uh, in the press, for example. So they sort of then you know, pressure flows downhill. So would you say that, you know, from a security point of view, that it's like, well, we really need to ensure that we are uh, hitting, the, hitting the mark in terms of the compliance or else, you know, my executive is going to be on my back and then that's not going to look good for the, for the company overall, which there's a bit of that in there as well. Yeah, I think it definitely can. I mean, that, that sort of culture or the, the pressure can definitely flow downhill where uh, there are definitely success uh measures or executive compensation or even just uh, stature or reputation and, and their, their overall job performance sometimes can be tied to the outcomes of, of uh, some of these high pressure audits that happen and they're very point in time uh, where there's you know leading up to it during and, and after can be can be very stressful times for for everyone who's involved in it um, and and in some cases you know where it pans out really well it, it's a really good success story. Everyone's happy and, and you can kind of use that to, to maybe build some positive momentum. But if it doesn't necessarily go favorably, you can end up with a, a culture that's, um, you know, could be a little bit um, counterproductive in terms of producing, um, you know, a secure organization or even one that's going to be able to um, 
maintain consistent compliance and get the buy-in and morale that you need. So that also goes back to kind of being if you're if you're short-staffed already or you're having challenges uh, with retention, and then you kind of add some of these pressures, it, it continues to compound and, and almost kind of make can make things even more challenging. Would you say from your experience as well that certain executives are just very focused on compliance? Again, going back to the point, you know, if they're, they're not compliant, they've got a bigger issue on their hands in terms of the media rather than sort of doing security properly, probably because they don't inherently understand it as much as a CISO or head of security would understand sort of the nuances, why it's important. We'd say there's a bit of a disconnect in understanding because it's like, look, we're compliant. I think that's sort of enough. Is that some of the mindset that you've seen in your experience? Uh, I think that it, it comes down to where, you know, you, you have, um, I think the executive uh, will say, mindset's always good intentions. And I don't think anyone's going to come out and say, well, we just want to be good enough and hope nothing bad happens. I think ultimately, you know, they want to drive compliance because they, <clears throat> if you're not compliant, I think you could, they're going to view it as you're going to end up having to maybe divert attention to remediation or having to deal with uh, regulatory oversight or, or any of the aftermath. So there's, there's good intentions there to, to, um, to make sure that you, you are hitting those baseline requirements that you're not going to have adverse, say, legal ramifications or regulatory ramifications in your industry so that you can ultimately achieve your, your business mission results uh, and outcome and, and be profitable and, and value to your customers, protect data and whatnot. But I think, um, you know, there, there can be that disconnect with uh, technical security, although I think sometimes many people think they could be the same thing where they're, they, they really go hand in hand, but they're, they're different and complementary to one another. So I think sometimes where, as you mentioned, with the uh, CISO or uh, other other executives who may become more from a, a business background, you some people can easily think, oh, well, we're compliant. We're definitely, you know, we're secure. Nothing, nothing's going to happen. Whereas someone who maybe comes from a different background is going to understand that, well, you know, your compliance is, is one piece of, of overarching security of the organization. And uh, just because you're compliant doesn't, isn't necessarily going to mean you're, you're in a very strong security posture. Uh, a good example might be, you know, to be compliant, you might need to have a robust risk management program and you might accept risk that maybe you don't want to accept or you're, you're tracking and, and, and governing how you do um, vulnerability management. And you might have a, a pretty good process, but if you're if you have vulnerabilities or you have risks that you've accepted that maybe if they're taking on too much risk, sometimes that could still fall in the realm of, of compliance because you have, you're governing your process effectively, but it doesn't necessarily mean your organization is secure because you still have that, that risk exposure that you're accepting. And, and, you know, maybe that's within the guidelines of your organization, or maybe you've taken on too much risk. So there's the, those aspects as well uh, between the, t- the two. But there, there's definitely some some nuances that I think, uh, without coming from the, the cyber background, you can easily kind of just fall in the mindset of like, well, we're, we're compliant, so we must be secure. So on that note, how do we sort of shift the frame of mind from just we're compliant, we're secure? Because yes, people still do think like that. Uh, again, a lot of probably a lot of the reasoning is that which is what we've discussed today. But how do we sort of get people past that point where we're just really, yes, compliance, like you said, is just one piece to the puzzle, but there's a lot of other things that we need to consider. What does that look like? And how do you start that conversation? I think I think it's, um, you know, some of it's, it's going to be at the top down approach. Uh, I think you'll, you'll see 
for some of the people entering the field now they, or doing the, the technical work, they they may um, be doing this firsthand, so they they understand. But if you if you've been in the field for a while, or you've shifted, or you've you you're um, an executive leadership, and now all of a sudden you have to kind of oversee compliance to an organization or how things work, it it's a lot about really educating the C-suite in terms of you know how do you manage risk effectively for your organization? How do you drive security for the organization in a in a way that's going to uh, enable compliance with frameworks, but then also the, the appropriate investments in in security and using the outputs from compliance to to kind of drive investments and prioritize remediation, build roadmaps, and how how you can invest and and kind of spend your 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 IT funds appropriately. Um, I think one, a good misnomer sometimes is people think, oh, if we're not, you know, you can use some uh, gaps in compliance to really you. Uh, We'll say um, inform your technology roadmap decisions. Where if you are able to kind of check the box uh, and say, "Hey, we're in great shape," but really some things are just barely uh, held together, you know, you're, you might be doing the organization a disservice in the sense that um, you're not maybe going to get the investment dollars because you don't have the justification to say, "Well, we need to really invest in these new tools, or we need several million dollars to to." Um, build out these capabilities when someone's going to look and say, well, you're, you're hundred percent compliant for the last three years. Why, why should we fund these projects? It doesn't seem like you need them, but really the, the compliance aspect could be uh, deceiving. So I think it's a way to like educate executives and leaders about how, how do you leverage compliance to build up your capabilities? How do you um, combine security and compliance together so that you have this holistic view of the organization so that you're governing um, the risk and exposure of the organization appropriately. And, and a lot of that, that the top level executive education, and I think now more than ever, that's a uh, area of, of focus and, and kind of at the forefront, I think with all the uh, breaches and, and um, hacks that you've seen over the, you know, the last year or so, and they just get more and more prevalent uh, over time that I think people realize is that we're, we're kind of at that, um, tipping point or infliction point where it, it's a, it's a huge deal now where you could maybe brush it aside a number of years ago and, and kind of skirt by. But I think a lot of people now are, are, are they're scared that their company's going to be the next one or it's going to happen on their watch. And I think you have people's attention and, and now is a time where you can really do some, some good education or kind of move the needle in the sense that this is a time, a really good time to drive culture change because people really have their attention and focus on it. Yeah, that's so true. So going back to your point before about sometimes it can do a disservice. So for example, executives saying, you know, for the last five years, we've been 100% compliant. Like, why do you need more, more money or more investment for security? Would you say that happens a lot or would you say that's sort of an anomaly and that rarely happens? I think it could depend on the organization. I think sometimes it does happen, um, especially because frameworks, and this goes back to the difference between compliance and security a little bit, sometimes uh, frameworks could be in place for a number of years before they get updated. So, you know, when a, a new framework first gets released or updated, um, they still might be a little bit behind where uh, technology or where the threats of security are today, but it's it's closed the gap a little bit. But by the time the next framework or next iteration of that comes out, it's, you know, there's a lot has changed in the world. And oftentimes, like, you're going to see the threats and technology evolve much faster than a compliance framework. And that's by design, because frameworks have to be put together much more methodically. 
But um, you're going to get to the point where uh, you're going to ultimately um, still be compliant, but there's just going to be so much new technology out there and, and investments and decisions that have to be part of your, your roadmap for your organization that um, if you're just looking at it as, okay, well, we're been compliant with this framework that was published eight years ago and we're still, or four years ago, I mean, even technology, even two years ago can be um, a little bit uh, troubling at times, but you, it's, you're, you're kind of looking back over something that's a little bit dated and you're saying, well, we're compliant and we've been tracking okay, but the technology keeps evolving and, and it's, it's about making sure that even though you're, you might be compliant now is you need to be compliant in the future too and you need to be secure today and into the future. So it's about kind of being able to convey that message effectively. And, and that's, I think, lost on a lot of people, especially in the technology field where um, it's, it can be a, a big challenge to communicate, let's say, some technical concepts or, or put together this messaging to a C-suite audience and, and kind of break it down quantitatively and qualitatively. How, how, what does this mean for the organization and how do we go forward and, and sell them on the idea that you know this, these are the actions that need to be taken to put together a vision and a plan for the organization? Why do you think so many people struggle with the communication? So if you're a head of security, CISO, and you're trying to get your CFO on board who is not a security person, why do you think so many people in our space seem to struggle with that though? Uh, that's a good question. I think sometimes it just comes from the background people have in terms of you, if you've gone up through the, the technical ranks, um, you know, you can easily uh, lose focus on some of the, the soft skills. And if, um, if you, it's just, I think just, a, it gets a little tricky sometimes where there's some people who are really skilled at it and it comes naturally and others, it takes practice. And I think it just comes down to the individual and, and, um, you know, being able to understand the, the background and the experiences of the other person. So a CFO, you know, they're going to have a, a finance background or numbers or, or they're going to want to maybe look at things or quantitatively. So it's like, how do you then present information to them that's going to be maybe more data driven or um, something that they're going to really, it's going to resonate with them. Um, if you kind of come to them with maybe something kind of soft or qualitative that's um, hard for them to really kind of uh, crunch the numbers around to say, okay, well, if we if we don't implement technology A now, well, we're not going to be able to do X later. Uh, or if we um, are able to implement technology A now, it's going to save us, um, you know, three, the equivalent of three resources or three F full-time employees later on down the line. There's ways that if you can quantify those sort of um cost savings to technology investments and how it's going to maybe multiply or enhance your team. Uh, those are things that are ways to have the message resonate a bit more versus just saying, well, we need this to be secure, where I think everyone's going to say, well, yeah, that would be beneficial, but we we don't have the money for that. Or it's like, well, we're considering three projects and yours really is hard to understand the ROI on. We're going to go fund some other project. Um, so I think that ha that can happen a lot where you need to really break down break down the outcomes and define what is what does this really mean and how does this help um, and if you can sell the organization on that then I think that that can make a big difference and um, that's a skill that that's learned and, and probably tuned over time where people uh, if you if you have a, a good coach or you've seen someone do that or sometimes it comes naturally but it's it takes practice I mean I'm sure many people have 
have made pitches and then it doesn't go well and you just kind of scratch your head and say, what happened here? Uh, and then you learn over time. It's like, well, well, maybe I didn't really convey the benefits of that. You know, I just talked about how important it was, but I didn't really say, well, what does that get us? Absolutely. And I think you can't paint everyone with the same brush. So like you said, what's important to a CFO is different to what's important to a CDO. So you need to really craft that messaging to fit the discourse in which that person operates in. And I think that's a lot of the time where people go wrong. They are very focused on the technology. And like these people, at the end of the day, they don't really care about that. It's a, you know, CFO is cared about making money, reducing risk, how much do things cost? They don't really care about the specifics of a technology. And I, and I do see a lot of people very wound up in that. So and I get that because they care about it and they like it and they enjoy it. So I really do understand where that sort of comes from. So would you say, traditionally speaking, security has really been about compliance first, not doing security properly, but then in turn that's created an uneven balance and a frustration? Uh, I would say I don't think anyone goes goes into um, compliance and security with, with the mindset of that they don't want to do security properly per se, but sometimes that's a, a negative output of, or a side effect of, of maybe, uh, not doing compliance well. Um, but when they, when you can kind of meld the two together strongly, you get, you get a good output, but I think you can sometimes see, um, um, the frustration of maybe people in the more the security operations, technical side, uh, or, or administration can can sometimes um, we'll see there's maybe some animosity with people who are solely focused on compliance, where sometimes they feel like they maybe operate and come from different planets, where it's like you're almost talking different languages, where the goal of the the, the security operations or the SOC teams or to really just secure the organization round the clock. Um, process events and incidents, um, troubleshoot the tools and sensors, and you're you're continuing and, and working under a high pressure environment regularly. And then when you kind of then uh, add to that a um, compliance audit or just compliance activities that need to happen, uh, I, I think sometimes that you'll see frustration or uneven uneven. Um, balance between the groups where uh, sometimes that, that can happen. I think you, you can end up with a dynamic where instead of the two teams kind of really working closely in synergy, you, you end up with, um, uh, let's say, siloed departments where you have processes that are documented that maybe don't reflect what's technically happening or just um, individuals who maybe don't have as strong technical skills doing compliance and thus maybe not truly understanding what the, the compliant or the, the um, security team is doing. So it, it gets to be that, that disconnect at times, but in organizations that do it really well, the teams can work really closely hand in hand and, you know, produce a very good outcome. But, um, you know, that will say a more mature, high functioning organization where sometimes in in other cases, it, it can be challenging where I think then that frustration or, or stress can, can come into play and, um, you know, have ill effects as well within the, the team morale or even just the outputs that the, the team is producing. Would you say over time the stress and frustration has gotten worse or better or stay the same? Um, I, it's, I would say that's a bit hard to say because every, every organization is going to be different. In my experiences, I think it's, I think it's generally gotten a bit better 
better uh, or at least stay the same at minimum. But um, I think it's just your the education and the the amount of um, uh, focus on on security nowadays uh, compared to say just compliance. I think that um, you're, you're having kind of people kind of step back and forth a bit between the, the I'll say disciplines within the greater cybersecurity field that um, there's, there's definitely been, I think, more improvement in, in that regard. So I, I think personally, in my experiences, I've, I've seen it uh, get a bit better, but um, I think there's still a little ways to go. And so when you say there's still a little ways to go, what, what sort of comes up in your mind when you think of that? Um, I think it's just, you know, it's one of those situations where um, it's kind of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and then also, uh, you know, kind of understanding the pressures of what one, one team's going to go through versus the other. Uh, you know, you have the technical side who's under under pressure regularly to secure the organization, to um, really process and evaluate this deluge of security events that continue to come through, respond to incidents or or, or other um high stressor, very um, quick turn events. But then, you know, they, they, that team's going to have to appreciate also the compliance side of things where the regulatory side is uh, very important as well from, from a ramification to the overarching business in terms of what they can do um, in, in different markets throughout the world and producing profit and, and being able to deliver services. So, it's it's kind of looking at it from both sides in that regard, just kind of appreciation for for one another. But then I think just the education, the the amount of um, resources available for for people to kind of um, build new skills to in, invest in oneself. I think some of that has happened. I think some of the the college education or universities have have offered more programs now over the years, where um, you're seeing a lot of the people entering the field have have much more um, stronger technical underpinning and, and knowledge than uh, those who've maybe switched in from other fields um, kind of when you know, we were 10, 10, 12 years ago or more. I think that, um, you know, the, you know, a lot of people got into cybersecurity from, from different uh, professions per se, some of which, you know, came from a good technical background, others maybe more process or, or soft skills. So now I think a lot of the people entering the field because you have degrees in this and um, there's majors and, and graduate programs and, and research. There's, there's so many avenues for people to um, get educated, to continue to grow their skills that I think it's a way to, to kind of help um, the, we'll say the, the middle management and the, the people performing the work really uh, gain a better knowledge of their, of how each aspect of this is done. And then that kind of flows up as well, where there's the, the C-suite education, there's um, some of those people are taking on leadership roles in organizations. So I think it's it's overarchingly trending better, it, but it's like anything, it's, it, it takes time for a kind of a, a greater cultural shift. Of course, I totally understand that. So looking forward, will there be a moment in time where we as an industry will hit a tipping point that people will inherently do security properly as well as being compliant. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's kind of a tricky question. I mean, you could almost say we're at a, a tipping point now. Uh, it's, you know, a year ago, you might have said, oh, we have any more uh, high priority breaches than we already have had. And, and we continue to always have, I think, always have more. Uh, I mean, here, here in the States with the um, front page news about the Colonial Pipeline hack, 
where that was a major disruption where I think people are seeing how you can now have, you know, significant um, cybersecurity events that not just, you don't just get an email or some credit monitoring for, you know, and someone, your credit card provider provides you a new credit card and life goes on. I mean, there's some serious ramifications to if you're not secure, um, whether it be major supply chain issues, uh, the solar winds breach had global impacts uh, around the world uh, in terms of the, the supply chain security that came out of that. Uh, so I, th- I, I mean, I, I think we're we're at that tipping point in in this uh, recent times or the time we're living in now. Uh, so if you know, these are the catalysts or the the big moments that really I think keep people up at night and say, you know, we need to, we need to make investments here. We need to make sure that not only are we complying with the regulatory framework, so that we're as an organization, this isn't going to happen to us. Um, and I think that's where we're at today, where I think a lot of the leaders for, for organizations, you know, take this as serious as you can, as you can get it. And if they're not, then it's, it's going to uh, ultimately going to have some pretty bad effects down the line, most likely. So I think, I think everybody, no one wants that to happen. And I think it's a matter of um, figuring out how do they align that to their um, governance, their long-term planning, short-term planning, and, and how, do, how do you guide the organization into the future to make sure that you're both, you're doing compliance and security uh, in a, a tightly coupled manner that's going to ultimately um, secure the organization and manage risk effectively. So my last question for you today, Jason, is what would be your advice for executives who are focused on compliance, but perhaps just need to broaden their understanding? I mean, you've sort of touched on it a little bit more today, but sort of as a summary, what would you sort of close with? Uh, A few things, really. I think, you know, it's okay to, you know, understand that there's many things that you're not going to know. And so that, you know, building a team of people that are going to, be able to help inform your your decision making. Who can be trusted advisors? I think is really important to empower and set a culture that's going to enable kind of open channels of communication, proactive, um, uh, we'll say, understanding of compliance and security together, so that you know you're going to have these these dialogues and that you're going to get the real information. Uh, I think sometimes you can end up with an organization that's maybe under a lot of pressure or stress is that sometimes, you know, the, some of the key information doesn't go high enough up the chain for leaders to make decisions in a, a proactive manner. And then when you don't pass a compliance audit or you have a security incident that you realize, Oh, well, the team knew about this a few, few months ago or whatnot, but it never really raised it up to the, the highest levels. So I think some, setting that culture where you're going to have that open communication uh, and then just, like anything in life, I think it's continuous learning, continuous personal growth. So even as a, an executive or a C-suite leader, uh, it's it's just continuing to grow, to continue to learn from other organizations, to um, to build your education in, in cybersecurity and risk management, so that you can uh, make those decisions uh, based on the information that your your team and organizations providing, so that you can not only drive. Uh, compliance with regulatory frameworks, but continued uh, the evolution of, of um, effective cybersecurity for your organization as well. Awesome. I love those points. Really, really appreciate it. I think we covered uh, an area that I haven't covered before on the show. So I really do appreciate you uh, spending the time, uh, your knowledge and your experience has been awesome. And I think a lot of people would really, really appreciate it. 
If people have a question for you that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Uh, I mean, they could uh, at any point in time contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, always welcome, you know, new, new connections, uh, increase my network, have further discussion. I always love to, to, to debate and dive into different cybersecurity topics. So we'd be happy to, to continue discussion. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jason. Really, really enjoyed the chat and I can't wait to get you back. Absolutely. Thanks for being here today and giving me the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.